So okay, great. Uh, I think we can let's get started. Yeah. So um, we have been permissionless for about uh, 12 days, right? So this is definitely you know very exciting time. So I'd love for you to start by maybe giving us a sort of state of the union of Forecaster. Uh, how are we doing today on a protocol level? And you know, sort of what's the implication of becoming a permissionless protocol? Uh, yeah, sure. Let me just cast out that we're live. Yeah, absolutely. Live with product feedback. Is It would be great if there was like a very easy button for me to press like that just says live. And maybe that's there and I'm just not finding it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's a, a icon, uh, the, the expand icon. Um, if you click on that, it should pop up. Oh, share on Warpcast. Okay, the, cool. I, I, I see that. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Um, awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I guess we're a little over a weekend. Um, everything seems to be working, which is good. I don't think the network has been overrun with trolls or spam. Um, I mean, definitely a little bit of choppiness with some of the stuff. I think like hubs had some issues that the team is fixing. There's been some FID spam, which doesn't allow you to post to hubs, but just kind of is annoying from a, you know, the data, like people now have to like make sure that they join FIDs and storage, but all, all things considered the team, I think did an amazing job. And for the most part, most people doesn't feel too, too different. Um, I think where we are is there's still some cleanup. So the, the issues that I mentioned there on the protocol side, um, Warpcast, for example, doesn't allow you to import accounts that aren't created on Warpcast. They're just some tech debt from, from before. And we bias towards just moving to permissionless earlier. So uh, Flink, which is a great example, and we should chat about it a little bit, which has been the majority of signups on the network for the last um, since, since permissionless. Um, if you sign up on Flink, you can't go use Warpcast. So obviously that, that needs to get fixed and, and we're going to go fix that. Um, but overall, yeah, I think things are working pretty well. Uh, I, it's definitely better in a world where no one signed up. Uh, I think we've had about 5,000 storage slots, which I think that's the way to think about uh, the growth of the protocol. That's people willing to spend their own money um, on, on, on the blockchain uh, whether they're doing that through Warpcast in an abstract way or Flink directly uh, or with the contract directly. But that's, you know, $35,000 to the protocol treasury, which we have no immediate plans to do anything with. But um, our belief is if we can continue to grow that, uh, the first thing that you can actually get to is a place where you start to have an independent uh, from Warpcast dedicated team, right? And, and so now you actually start to have a protocol team that is not just Warpcast. And obviously we're trying to do our best job of wearing both hats, but I think long-term you you definitely want an independent organization driving protocol development. And, and that's not going to happen tomorrow. I think it'll, it'll take a little bit of time, but the best way for that to happen is to actually have a sustainable revenue model. And so far so good. And there's a nice perk of also the revenue model also helps reduce the amount of spam. Yeah. So, so speaking of um, the, the, the revenue uh, generation, uh, today it costs uh, twelve dollars to sign up on Webcast, um, yep. and seven dollars uh, on, on Flink. So why why do you charge twelve dollar on on Webcast? Well, you got to kind of do reverse math. So start with seven dollars for the protocol. Um, you have to charge up for a little bit for the gas. 
um, there's some pricing risk, right? So it's like, if I give you a price, the price of ETH and gas can change. Uh, and then whatever price you decide to charge, Apple takes 30%. So you kind of have to gross it up from there. And so we picked a kind of even number. Um, we can display it as, hey, it's $1 a month. You're not signing up for a subscription, but you're getting it for a whole year when you're paying up front. Uh, so keeping things simple, that's how we show it in the UI. And so there's a little bit of revenue for Warpcast, um, which I think for us, we're going to have to kind of figure out like what is break even because there's obviously things like chargebacks and other stuff that you're dealing with fiat. And fortunately, a bunch of us worked at Coinbase, so we have experience doing that. So I think for us, it's it's we're going to be iterative on that. Um, but overall, our strongly held point of view is that people are quick to complain and say, hey, I want crypto native X or Y. But the reality is what, what most people want is convenience. And that's, I think, been one of the secrets of Coinbase's success is if you build strictly for crypto natives, you have a product that works for crypto natives, but most people can't use versus if you build for what's the best user experience. Actually, most people just use that. And then, you know, they like to grumble, but the reality is, is like people are willing to pay Coinbase's fees because Coinbase makes it really easy to get into crypto. And so I think in the same case with Warpcast, um, you know, we've, we've had plenty of signups. It's not like every signup went to the cheaper option. Uh, so I think that that is uh, an affirming decision. And, and obviously we'll be paying attention if that changes in the future, we would probably reconsider how we're, how we're doing things. Yeah, so I just look at the uh, the onboarding data. Um, so so basically, Flink has a, a, a bit more uh, user sort of acquired than than Webcast, but it, it's it's pretty close. Um, and now we you know, recently had a, a third client in Farcourt uh, that has also brought uh, some users to to the network. So I guess on this point of um, user onboarding. Um, I'm just curious if you have any sort of comments on, on user onboarding in general, basically from from all sorts of you know different clients, and how, how do you think this is going to evolve uh, in the near future? Well, I I think you're going to have the crypto native options, which that will be web based. Um, it will be you know use your existing wallet, and the system works totally fine with that. And then I think you're going to have mobile-based, which it's pretty tricky to do anything crypto-native on mobile. Uh, you start to run into App Store issues. And I'm personally not a huge believer in PWAs. Uh, I think that they serve a purpose, and that's progressive web apps. So think of something like um, Frentech. And you definitely can use them. And if you have like a primary use case is like really focused on financial, then they're, they're going to work. But I think if you're looking to build an app where effectively what it's providing is entertainment and time spent is, is kind of the way to think about that app in, in not a negative way. It's not like we're tricking people into spending time on, on Warpcast. Like hopefully Farcaster is interesting enough that like when you spend time on Warpcast to use an Elon term, it's a non-regrettable user minute. Um, but, but the idea is um, if you have an app that you want to have a lot amount, uh, a lot of time spent in because you want it to be entertaining and, and good UX for people, I think you have to be, Native, I mean, you can use React Native from a technology choice, but I think in terms of just like the user experience, Apple is just never going to be prioritized to make PWAs like excellent. Uh, they're going to do it as kind of like a fig leaf way of being able to get around some of these like regulations in Europe and, and other places. The other thing regarding the, um, the, the, the onboarding part is, you know, it, it, I remember initially uh, we said that the price of the storage uh, was going to be five dollars, um, 
but but then you know it was sort of bumped into seven uh, because um, it was a good way to sort of prevent spam. And do you think uh, you know it's likely for us to, to see the price going to drop a bit in, in the near future, or are are you planning to keep the seven dollar uh, you know in 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 the, in the next several months? Well, I think we said we we're committing to six weeks. So every protocol release, I think we're going to reevaluate, like, what should the price be? Um, but so far, I think we're happy with it in terms of the growth of the network. And frankly, I don't think the price, and, and we're going to have to get user feedback here, is the primary reason people aren't using Farcaster as, as a protocol. I think it's fundamentally coming down to is, like, what job to be done or what kind of entertainment are you providing to me? And if you can actually provide... Uh, a reasonable amount of, of enjoyment, delight, entertainment, whatever term you want to use, people will be willing to pay. Like, it, it, I'm, I'm not worried about that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think where we are turning our focus outside of some of the cleanup coming out of permissionless is, is focusing on how do you grow uh, quality DAO by 1,000x, right? And so obviously it's not going to happen tomorrow. But I think in terms of, like, where the team is shifting to spend time on is, is how do we grow Farcaster protocol DAO? And obviously one tool we have with that is our own product forecast. So you're dog fooding everything on the protocol. You're really, really focused on like, hey, what what are the best options to, um, uh, not necessarily options, but like what, what do we think the single best feature or product strategy we can put forth that will highlight, A, just like a great experience that people are gonna be excited and then B, does that create sustained and retained daily active users for the protocol? And so channels is, is kind of where we are spending most of our budget there. And I think we're kind of working through a few other ideas, but like our belief is that channels have, you know, it's like 50% of all casts are in channels now. Uh, you know, it's like 30% of like root casts, like top level casts. And then it's like 60% of replies. Um, and yeah, like I think there are some great examples of channels that have, really, really high engagement. Um, so Nouns is a great example of one. Uh, memes, Farcaster, Equilibrium, like these are channels that, you know, depending on how many posts there are or casts there are on a given day, they just get a lot of engagement. And so I think we're trying to figure out, it's like, how can we get 100x more channels that have that level of engagement? Because every one of those channels you add to the network is adding liquidity for any other app, right? And so like, if we have 10 more Nouns, uh, equivalent on-chain organizations that are actively using Farcaster, an app like Abura that is kind of thinking itself a little bit more nounish and and towards DAOs, at least that's how I've described it, um, benefits, right? Because now those people could potentially be using the feature set that you're you're customizing to that type of group. And that's fine because like from our standpoint, that benefits the protocol. It brings more people into the protocol. And so I think that that is where now that like you can think of like a successful version of Farcaster, if we say long-term goals, a billion plus people using the protocol every day, how do you get there? You need many apps and services. Many apps and services are going to be attracted by two things. One is uh, necessary, but not sufficient, which is does the thing actually work? So we are now at this point, you know, all things considered, the protocol actually does work from a technical standpoint. And now the sufficient thing is you need to actually go grow the number of QDAO so that yeah. developers will actually find it useful. And I think developers will find it useful when they feel like if, you know, for example, you're building a startup and you want to go raise VC funding, you want to have user growth numbers and user growth numbers are fundamentally limited by how many people are on the network. And so 
you can be lazy as a protocol team and say, well, that's your job, developer. You go find find uh, users. Well, then the users are going to go, the developers are going to go, okay, well, th- that's really hard. So I'm going to go try to find my best opportunity. Who's providing me with users? Um, whereas we could take the approach of we have to go find the users. And if we can massively increase the number of users, you're going to have all these other developers are going to want to show up in the protocol because you've done the hard work of onboarding people, getting them ready, and kind of only being one tap away from installing their crypto app and having the existing graph and all that other kind of stuff. And I think the best analogy that I like to bring up is the iPhone. iPhone did not have an app store for the first enti- the first year. Apple built all the first party apps. The only way you could technically build an app was actually like an old school version of a PWA in the original version of Safari. And mm-hmm. only after a year of selling, you know, on the order of 10 million iPhones, did Apple then release the app store? Because by definition, if you buy an iPhone, you are a daily active user. And so now you had a platform that had 10 million early adopter tech savvy people. A lot of the people who bought the first iPhone also ended up building some of those early apps. So I think that's when you start to get a really nice flywheel. And so our, our point of view is, okay, great. We have the equivalent of an iPhone in the sense that you have a platform that works. That, that's where Farcaster is today. How can we go get the 10 million people who now have it in their pocket, on their body every single day. And if we can do that, then I think you're going to see tons of success stories for developers. And that in of itself will, will create a compounding flywheel of like, it's just going to attract more people because people are doing well and like their apps are succeeding as a result of Podcaster. So I think that's what we need to be maniacally focused on. And anything that doesn't potentially increase that, nice to have. Sometimes we might squeeze something in, but like this is something I end up fighting with people on Farcaster a little bit. Ah, fighting is maybe too mm-hmm. strong a word. It's maybe disagreeing. It's like, oh, you should add GIF support or video support. And it's like, well, one, if I had a compelling reason to think that people who are using Farcaster are major video influencers, that if they did, we added their, their audiences would show up, then sure, I would consider that. But right now, it's basically people being like, I don't have to think about prioritization or engineering budget. I just want this feature, which is a completely fine mm-hmm. thing for a user to say, but it's also completely fine for us to say, it doesn't matter if we add all these nice features and like little quality of life tweaks. It, what it matters is if we thousand X the DAO and the protocol and, and in specifically quality DAO, right? Like no one wants a thousand X users, but having them yeah. be airdrop farmers. So speaking of, uh, sort of protocol, uh, developers and client developers you know, any advice on what they should build and what they should focus on yeah i think um the two things to think about are one if, if you don't have venture scale user numbers you should not be approaching building a venture scale app um given that as soon as you talk about like venture funding you think about timelines and like everything is only kind of like you you have to make or break in 18 months Right. And so I don't think we are at the point, if I'm being intellectually honest, where I would and I love selling. Right. But like I would not try to go sell someone and say, hey, you should be you should be betting the farm on Farcaster. That that would just you know not be a good, prudent decision if the growth isn't there. So that's why we have to unlock the growth in order for people to actually have a good shot at, at growing alongside Farcaster. So in that world, I think that there are two things. One, Farcaster becomes a really useful thing today to bootstrap your app, right? And I think Unlonely is a great example of this, where I think that they've had a pretty lightweight Farcaster integration early on, but really they've actually found that initial community to kind of get the the whole thing working on Farcaster. 
And I think that there are a couple of other examples of that. Obviously, there are people who find their co-founder and forecaster. So there's definitely still value. I think it's just in terms of like how to approach it. And I think Flink is a great example of this in that um, Sloak is actually, he's full-time in another company and he's building this as a side project. It's scratching an itch. And like what's cool about the the infrastructure that exists with, with Forecaster is you don't have to solve for a whole bunch of things that normally if you were going to go build a, a web two style social network, not only would you have to build like the identity and like all this kind of like infrastructure that exists as a result of the, the protocol, but then you have to go get users. Whereas now you can just kind of be like, Oh, Hey, I'm an alternative client. I offer these features and you know, you go add a web sign up and then boom, like the, the launch marketing from permissionless ends up getting you a bunch of users. And so I, th- I view that as a huge success case in the sense that like you're actually able to build something interesting even just part-time. And so I think that is probably where we are right now. But I was to say, okay, let's say you're a venture-backed fa- or you're at aspiring venture-backed founder building the Farcaster ecosystem, what do you do? I think there's a combination of approach it like Unlonely has, where it's like use lightweight integrations as a way to bootstrap your user base. And then I think that the honest answer is like, it's a bear market in crypto. So you, mm-hmm. by definition, if you're selling to crypto people, like, I don't care how good you are, like no one's numbers look good. Coinbase's numbers don't look good. And we know those numbers because they're a public company. And so I think like where I would be focused is like, one, can I survive the crypto winter with a minimal amount of growth? That That's just like a kind of like only you can answer that your own question as, a, as an entrepreneur builder. And then the second question is, are there adjacent categories outside of crypto that I can actually be focusing on, whether that is trying to bring people into Farcaster? I think that's harder versus, hey, my app offers functionality outside of crypto. And I think a good example of this is Yup, where Yup allows you to post to Blue Sky. Yup allows you to post to Threads. And so, like, I think they're approaching this from a, hey, we're going to be a general purpose tool. And should the crypto de- decentralized social stuff on that side work out, then we're going to be well positioned to capture that. Uh, switching gear a bit, uh, I want to talk about something um, that, uh, you know, the topic that's come up pretty often after permissionless is uh, spam uh, in the network. I personally have not noticed uh, sort of a meaningful increase in, in spend content. And, and I don't think it's a big problem as of right now. Uh, but definitely you can feel something is different, right? Bots, they're, they're recasting each other's content. They're liking each other's content. So maybe talk a bit about sort of how we're doing in terms of spend and what you have done in, in this area. Yes, the honest answer is we haven't done much. Um, it hasn't been an issue. And I give Varun credit here. I think I was a little bit more concerned from it just because I, I don't know. I feel like I'm always constantly, when I was doing the invites in my Twitter inbox, I felt like I was getting the, the deluge of <laughs> airdrop farmers trying to get up to the network. Mm-hmm. And I think he's like, let's just wait a week. Let's wait two weeks. Let's see where it is. And we have some tools internally, like nerfs that we can go hit. And, and, and I mean, there have been a few accounts, right? Like clear impersonations or whatever. But for the most part, we haven't had to do anything. And I think it's a great example of prematurely solving a problem is actually like, that's how you end up killing your startup. It's like you solve problems that aren't problems rather than focusing on the only thing that matters for this protocol in order for it to succeed at the level that we're hoping and for everyone else to participate in that success in terms of people building on top of it is growing quality down. And so shutting down spam accounts at a small scale with a bunch of tools feels fun. It feels like a video game. But the reality is that doesn't grow QDAO. So if, if the spam 
stuff increases, then obviously that's going to hurt your DAO. But everything I can tell is I don't think a single active user has come to me and said, you know, whether in DM or publicly is like, hey, I think spam's getting to be too much of a problem in this network. I'm going to stop using it. Yep. And I think that that's also how I feel too. So I guess there's no reason to do a large scale crackdown on, on spam because I, I maybe see it a couple of times a day, but, but you know, that's it. Yeah, and, and just remember, also, I'm I'm on the app yeah. all day long, so like I'm I'm feeling everyone's pain just as the same. So the moment I start thinking it's really actually an issue, rather than trying to preemptively solve it, then I think we'll probably start working on it. Um, I, I have to actually run, so maybe yeah, one sure. last question, and then we can go. Yeah, yes, sure. Um, in terms of uh, the the things that you're trying out on webcast channels, um, you did an MA with uh, Vitalik. And then also another AMA in, in, in the Founders channel. So talk about any, any plans in, in that direction. You know, AMAs that you want to do or things you want to try in the channels. Yeah, so I think generally um, AMAs are really engaging because they generate a flurry of activity. The network naturally, people like the replies and so they sort. And so what you end up getting are these like kind of showcase pieces of the thoughtfulness of Farcaster. And so it's an area that I'm in a unique position. Not unique, but I, one of my strengths is I have a pretty good network. And I actually think it can be an, uh, a useful marrying of the, where Farcaster is today with bringing people who might not be on Farcaster. The Brian Armstrong's coming. He's, he, you know, he's a very low FID, but busy guy. Um, but getting him to do an AMA, I think, A, both showcases the thoughtfulness of Farcaster in the same way that, you know, I think Vitalik noticed that and stuck around. But, you know, we do a few of these. Maybe people start to say, hey, that was actually a really pleasant online experience, right? Like these people are used to just having people spew vitriol and spam at them on Twitter. And so I think it's, it's, a, it's a both kind of a lightweight sales process there, but it also, it showcases the, I think the thoughtfulness of the community, right? Like the quality of the questions speaks as much as whoever did the quality of the, of the guest. And I think each time we do that, it's just an, another opportunity that someone can grab the share, the share link, send it in a group chat being like, Hey, are you on Farcaster? Like, you know, Vitalik answered my question or Brian Armstrong just answered my question. And so I think, you know, fake it till you make it a little bit with that. And I think it's like, okay. like, can we do that in a little bit of a targeted way to kind of also showcase that there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in channels. Um, and so I think we're going to try to spread that around. So it's not just going to be, you know, in the Ethereum channel or the founders channel. I'm taking a particular interest in the founders channel because I want to see how far I can get the founders channel if I'm like kind of focused on it. But I think generally I, I want to kind of develop a playbook. And some of this is actually the channel leads experiment, which has been pretty lightweight. And I think we've already seen a lot of these channels actually have a bunch more engagement just by having someone to say, hey, I'm actually the person thinking about this channel. And so I think hopefully within the next, call it six to eight weeks, we have a better playbook for saying, hey, I want to do a channel, potentially having that get to permissionless sooner in Warpcast, and then have the ability to grow it. So that's, that's kind of like where my head is. And you'll probably see it's like, I spent a lot of time casting the channels. Yep, absolutely. Well, really appreciate your time today and uh, hope that we'll get to chat in two weeks again. Yeah, yeah, this is great. I love the efficiency of this and, and I love that you put it out as a podcast. And, you know, as soon as it's up, let me know and I'll recast it. Cheers.